In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to pray about something. So what might be helpful for that time is to have a notebook or a note on your phone, something to use in that space. I'd also suggest having a Bible because we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 for our time together. As, as we begin, I'm going to do something as a communicator that I don't always appreciate as a listener. I'm going to read for us 13 verses in a row. And, and sometimes I find as a listener, this is a bit challenging. It strains my attention. and I'm not capturing all of what's there. But I do think it's going to be a helpful way to start uh, as we examine what the message of this text is for us today. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And it says this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day. From all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, Father, I want to pause and pray and ask that for whoever is listening to this, wherever they're listening, I know that you're here with me right now, but you're also with whoever is engaging with this wherever they are at. And so I pray that you would use these words as maybe complex and uh, long-winded as they, they might feel to us and speak to us something that makes sense for where we are at, something that furthers your good purposes in us and through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me, let me read you a statement I came across recently and get you to consider how much it resonates with you. Here's the statement. I sometimes struggle to believe in God. I sometimes struggle to believe in God. I wonder if that's a statement you would write or think at some point. Are you ever in a place where you wonder to yourself, I'm just not sure he's actually real. Let me, let me tell you my answer. Yes. Yes, I, I do. Despite how, how passionately we might sing the songs that are part of a church online package or a Sunday service or something, or, or have felt the love of God before. And, and, and you know what happens? And do you know when this happens the most for me? It's when I'm exhausted. 
It's when I've, I've admitted to myself that I'm tired or I'm weak and I, I bypass somehow. I bypass the deep truths and long-term realities and I prioritize simply what's going to make me feel better. I'm sure we've all done this in some way. It's like, have you, have you ever promised yourself you're going you're gonna to get in shape, you're going to go to the gym, you're going to exercise, eat more healthy, uh, have less screen time, do a, a whole 30 or a hard 75 or some sort of other uh, self-abuse? Like, have you ever been there? And then, and then you, get, you get home after a long day of school or work or whatever you've been to, and you know you're going to have to act on that plan, and you're tired and you just think to yourself, you know what? Today's a cheat day. <laughs> or, you know what, I'll start tomorrow. Why, why tell you all this in light of, of, of what Hebrews 4 is saying? I, th I think it's because when I found out I would be preaching this passage in this series we're in about trusting to the end, I looked at it and I, and I went, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty straightforward teaching referencing ancient historical moments and Old Testament texts about highlighting a very good promise and contrasting it with the danger of disobedience. So basically the synopsis of a message like that would go something like this. God has something really good for his people. So don't be dumb and miss out on that. And, and here's the thing, I, I really, really think we do need messages like that, especially in this day and age that we live. We, we need, with compassion, messages that, that really do bring clarity to what the right way to live is. And we, we need the Holy Spirit to bring fresh conviction and, and lead us into faithfulness. But when I thought about that type of message, I got stuck. And I got stuck because I, uh, this passage uses the language of rest in connection with both its promises and its warnings. And for me, I believe that some of those who need rest the most are the ones that might be the most vulnerable to the danger in this passage. They might be the most vulnerable to hardening their hearts. My hunch is that if you're like me, you struggle most to believe in God when you're tired. And, and, and for me, a, a big confession here, when I'm tired, I am vulnerable. Perhaps most vulnerable to putting trust in my own thoughts rather than putting trust in God's words. Does that happen to you when you're tired? The default thing is like, you know what, I'm just going to take counsel with what I am thinking and not put trust in what he is saying. And what could happen is that if, if I allow myself to go there, what that ends up becoming is a cheat day, a start another day type of day. And, 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 and in my relationship with Jesus, in my faith. And, and if I stack up enough of those cheat days, I end up living a life that's dangerously distant from God. And this might be exactly what you've seen in yourself or others before, maybe where you're at right now. Because look, there will be times where we're beaten down, exhausted, where, where the things that we are looking to for security will be shaken, where the things that we are looking for uh, finding our significance in will be dismantled. And I guess as I looked at this passage, I asked myself, well, in some ways, am I in that type of place today? And are you? So what, is, what does Hebrews 4 have to say to us if that is the case? So I want to take this, this unique angle and attempt to speak towards that, to try and highlight the, the beauty of what's promised here and the seriousness of what's warned here 
And to have it land for those of us who, who maybe are running on fumes, hanging on by a thread, tapped out, or really are caring about somebody who is. So look again at verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to have failed to reach it. It's no secret, like we, we all long for rest and there's perhaps a, a spectrum of starting points for restlessness. Maybe it's connected to pace, our pace of life. Maybe it's pace and or pressure, the pressures of life. Or maybe it's pace and or pressure and or pain, a pain we have in life. We all long to thrive, but sometimes we struggle to do so. So we could have, on, on the one hand, at one part of the spectrum, the, the busy, those whose lives are so full that things are being sacrificed. Sacrifices, uh, things like the important for the urgent, the personal for the professional, and in the process, perhaps having a deeper spiritual emptiness. And when we're empty, we try to find ways to fill that void, don't we? But what we could also have, on the other hand, are those who aren't necessarily busy, but they are deeply longing to be replenished. Oh, their schedule isn't full, their, their calendar isn't jam-packed, but they're stuck. They're stuck with an illness. They're stuck in, in loneliness. They're stuck in poverty. They're stuck in depression or some other sort of fatigue. So here's the thing, though. As much as we might want a talk that helps us ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives or find new motivation for a balanced lifestyle, whatever that is, or discover an effective solution to cope with life, as important as those things might be and actually are, I think something bigger is at stake here from the context of Hebrews chapter 4. Here's why. Because if we used Hebrews 4 as a springboard for some kind of TED talk on the pro tips of finding that state of thriving that we all crave and landed with a bunch of ideas that have nothing to directly do with trusting in God, then I'm not convinced we're talking about Hebrews 4. Why? Because if this message leads us to look for an experience that we could have without Jesus, then it cannot be an experience that comes from trusting in Jesus. Furthermore, I think if, if the rest that you are chasing is an experience without God, then it's not the rest God is promising. So let's look at this text and try to capture some of the essence of what this concept of rest could mean. What type of rest is Hebrews 4 talking about? The first thing we need to consider is how Hebrews connects rest to the work of creation in the book of Genesis. So in verse 4, here's a throwback to Genesis 2 verse 2. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day, seventh day of creation, in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So if the rest has something to do in connection with that, then it's an experience that God himself enjoys. And it's an experience that has been available from the very beginning. It's been the goal for us all along to be with God, finding our place with our creator in his design, in his created order. But there's more. Another thing we need to see is how Hebrews connects rest to the Old Testament promised land. So if you look at verse 8 and following, for if Joshua, so this is the leader that, that was bringing them into that promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains, and look at this term here, a bit different, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So there's a backstory to this. God chose for himself a people, the nation of Israel. That would be his means to bless all peoples, the whole world. So they're rescued by God from slavery in Egypt, and he's leading them to an experience where they have land and an identity and they have blessing. Rest. And the, and the leader that brings them into this land is Joshua, but Hebrews reminds us that, that that didn't fully accomplish all that God had desired for them or for the whole world. There remains a rest, and not just any rest, but this curious term, a Sabbath rest. And this language connects to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, another part of our Bible, used then to describe an experience made possible by the sacrifice that allows God's people to be forgiven for their sins and reconciled to God. Something encapsulated and celebrated in a special moment called the Day of Atonement back then. So take all of this together and try to capture some of the beauty of what's going on here and being described, what's being promised. There's rest available, an experience that God himself has not made, uh, not only just made available from the beginning, but also possible because of the work of Jesus. So that we can not only experience our place with our creator in his created order, but also find our place with our savior in right and restored relationship with him. What type of rest is Hebrews 4 talking about? I think it could be described a lot of ways, summarized, but just for our purposes here, I think the rest of Hebrews 4 is about experiencing the blessing of life with our creator. An ultimate promised land where we enjoy maximum well-being, sins forgiven, finding our rightful place in God's good design. So if burnout and exhaustion all traces to being depleted by things that erase either our desire for security or our, or our sense of significance through all the toil of work and, and pace, pressure and pain, does not the promised rest with God not sound like the best possible way to satisfy our, our deepest longings for security and significance. We'll see later that Hebrews goes on to give us more descriptions of what this promised rest looks like. In chapter 11, it's called a heavenly homeland. In chapter 12, it's called a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So for us, it's what we need to capture here is on the other side of our trust in God, is an experience with God. And if what you're chasing doesn't require him, then it's got to be incredibly inferior and supremely unsatisfying in comparison. A scary thing of this text is that it's, it's not only possible to live life settling for less than what's promised, but worse, it's, it's possible to miss this rest entirely, which is why we not only have promise, we also have warning. Just look at a few places where, where this chapter gives us that. Uh, verse 1, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Or verse 6 and 7, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter. Why? Because of disobedience, which is why this warning, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us fear. So this isn't so much about being afraid, but it's about adjusting your life to treating a holy God the way he ought to be treated. Let us strive. This is about giving focused attention to trusting what God says by doing what God says. 
And this could leave us wondering, well what, well, what does this look like? What am I actually supposed to do? Well, Jesus has been asked this before. I look at John chapter 6. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? A good question. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work? That's the work? By the time we get to this passage we're in, the author has referenced uh, this, this story from Israel's history using Psalm 95, this, these little quotes that are here, five separate times in chapters 3 and in the one we're in today, chapter 4. And, and, and this idea of entrusting ourselves to God is the, is the key idea. In verse 2 of chapter 4, it says the good news came to us just as it did to them, so the people back in Israel's story. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by what? By faith with those who listened. Entrusting ourselves to God is the work. In the, in the previous part of the series, Pastor Tim summarized what happened in, in this story that's been referenced over and over in these events. God's people are heading towards this, this, this promise, what God has been offering for them, leading them to. But while they're still in the desert on the way, they see trouble ahead and they stop short. They disobey. And I think this is what ought to remind us that disobedience is distrust. Try to feel the weight of that. I think we sometimes think, well, yeah, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe these, these, these doctrines of Christianity. But then we go and live life however we want. Disobedience is distrust. And these people back then, they analyze where they're at in life, and they put their trust in their own assessment of the situation. And this is exactly where I find myself in danger. I take counsel with myself and I conclude, yeah, God's, God's way, it's more a chance at relief than a certainty of rest. And so because it's like these, these desert moments, they take a toll on me, I'm again, I'm vulnerable to trusting my thoughts instead of trusting God's words. And in times like these, like the people that Hebrews is referencing, I realize it's like I'm stranded in a desert. Perhaps, you know, between the slavery of Egypt, so life without God, and the promise of the promised land. But God is leading me like, like he was leading them then, perhaps in a way that they did not want to be led. You ever find yourself thinking, God, 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 you, you, he, God is leading me differently than I would lead me. With the timing and the direction and all of it, he's, he's leading me different than I would if I were God trying to help me. You ever find yourself praying something like, God, God, if you are real, you would not be taking me in this direction, in this way, with these struggles. Like, like the people then, I look around or maybe we look around and go, like, oh, like there, should, there, there should be different circumstances. They're, like they're, they're in the desert and it's like, you know, there should be more food, God. There should be better food, God. There shouldn't be giant enemies in the land that we're headed towards. And this is why we have to become convinced again that many of the realities of God's kingdom are both now and not yet. Like the people then were rescued from slavery, given a new identity, but there is a gap between receiving that and experiencing the fullness of it. And this to me is exactly why I need Hebrews 4. God knows what the gap is like. He's seen his people in the desert before. And while we can experience elements of, of true rest right now in relationship with him, there's a gap until we arrive at its fullness.
Because of what God promises, like we can actually though hold the promise intention with with our present. That's why we're told elsewhere, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we get promise, we get warning, and next week, if we kept reading this chapter, we also get a helper as well. But I ask us again, as I did at the start, do you sometimes struggle to believe in God? So let me... Let me be transparent and give you my two personal hang-ups for confidence in him. They're, they're these two things. One is low comfort, and the second is low comprehension. So it's like I, I need to understand what God is doing or, or, or why God says what he says. So in low comfort, it's like my heart hardens because I just want relief. God's not giving me comfort or, or he's not giving me what I want fast enough. And so I begin to demand a certain level of comfort before I find it easy to trust in him. Or in low comprehension, my heart hardens because I, I want to understand what God's doing or why God is saying what he's saying. So I sit, you know, I, I do things like I, I sit out on my deck after my kids go to bed and I analyze my life and I think, if I, if I can just see where God is in this, then I'll trust. Or uh, if I can just understand why God says this, then I'll obey. Your place of hardening might be the place where you don't know where he is or don't want to do what he says. You're done asking. You're done listening. You've decided to take your own counsel. So maybe, maybe what would be helpful for me and what would be helpful for you if you are in that place is, is to stop equating trust with complete comfort or comprehension because they're not the same. We've, we've talked in this series about how hardening and the, in these warnings, hardening of our hearts, it's a forgetfulness of who God is and what he's done, which is why I found myself realizing that sometimes worship is our only option. I feel myself becoming unresponsive to God's words and so I, I need to worship before I feel like it. And worship, it doesn't always fix my life, but it does reframe my perspective enough to trust the God who actually cares about my life. And especially when it's worship that looks like praying the Psalms, reading through them, praying through them, or, or singing biblically rich lyrics. Worship reminds me of who I am trusting and that trust in him is worth it. Maybe you need to find some sort of playlist. Maybe you need to open the book of Psalms if you're feeling depleted, going, I can't trust because I don't have the comfort or the understanding. Maybe your only option, like me sometimes, is worship. And I love that we're hitting on the emphasis of today. Like today, if you hear his voice, today, 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 don't harden your heart. See, the warning that, that, that is in this flows out of God's love and desire for us to enter his promises. And here's the thing. We can't fake out God on this. I think it's interesting that this potentially familiar description about the word of God in verse 12, how it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it's found in the context of warning. And while we might be able to pretend and, and fake our spiritual condition around our spiritual siblings, our Father in heaven knows what's real. Like, I, I wish we gave one another permission to be honest more. 
I sometimes wonder if we value authenticity as much as we say we do in the church. Like during the pandemic, a lot of people began to admit that for a while they were drifting from Jesus, but it was easy to look like they weren't. After all, church happened on Sunday, and, and when Sunday attendance wasn't available as a marker of one's faith, people began to live in the direction that their hearts were already pointed. And for me, I would have rather just known. Like, we, we needed to give people the permission to not be okay spiritually. We perhaps do a disservice to others when, when, when we rush to try and, like, manufacture faith in them. Like, I would rather know where you are actually at and wrestle through that authentically. But at the same time, if the stakes are as high as Hebrews 4 seems to think they are, we need to give people permission to point out hardness in our hearts. And we may have completely legitimate reasons for hiding or pretending, but notice in verse 13, we're completely seen, but the promise still stands. We're completely seen and completely invited. We're told in verse 13 that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There is something serious about that. But knowing the character of God, there's also something very inviting as well. It reminds me of an interaction Jesus has with a woman in John chapter 4. Someone he loves, but also somebody he knows has been living well outside God's ways. Listen to this piece of, of the interaction he has with her. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. There are tangible things she's looking to, tangible, practical things that we might be looking to that, yeah, they'll, they'll help us for a season, they'll bring short-term relief, they'll, they'll kind of contribute to our sense of security and significance. But the promise is for something far deeper because we're always going to be thirsty again and again and again. But what Jesus offers fully satisfies. So what, so what could we do as an act of trust in this type of God today. Despite how fatigued we are, how much we've lived life ignoring God, sinning against him, we are completely seen and completely invited. God, God sees exactly where you are. Our good Father in heaven sees exactly where you are. So here, here's what I would encourage you to do. Pause for a moment. Don't try and pretend. Just be real with him and try to fill in these two blanks. Today I feel and insert exactly where you are. What's your spiritual condition? What's, what's your state of well-being? What's, what's going on? Today I feel and, and put what's actually there because God already knows it. And then prayerfully consider completing this sentence, as an act of trust, I need to obey God today by, and then fill in that blank. Knowing that we're completely seen and there's good promises, serious warnings, 
but above it all, a God who loves us and is inviting us to trust, to rest.